Greetings Creeps, and welcome to Horgo Problems, the podcast slash videocast. Thanks for listening, Mom and Nephew Noah. Happy Thanksgiving! Today is our very spooktacular Thanksgiving feast fest. We are joined by score-to-death author J. Blake Fischera, talking score-to-death, the upcoming score-to-death 2, and partaking in a very special Thanksgiving treat. Hello. Hello. Oh, you sound good. I don't mess around. That is Chris. You're not fucking around at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I am uh, actually scared. Are you? Do you have your supplies? To eat this candy? (laughs) (laughs) So when these disgusting little babies came out, you sent this to me. And I promised that if I got my hands on some, we would try them together. Yes. And, and get uh, my you, hands you on came them. through. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Am I regretting it horribly now? Yes. Um, but you so love candy corn. I love candy corn. This is an abomination and a bastardization. Well, we haven't tasted corn. it yet. You can't say oh, that. Okay. Like confession though. Have you ever done the Harry Potter jelly beans? No, but I know what you're talking about. You know of them. Mm-hmm. I'm very sensitive to smells and tastes. And I was the kid who would like get in trouble when my mom would give me like Tylenol because I would just be throwing it back up onto myself oh, yeah, because yeah. it tasted bad. So that's kind of what I do with those gross jelly beans if I ever get a <laughs> <laughs> So you might throw up I on the show right now. And I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Any I, gagging? I would have been honored to be on the episode where you threw up. <laughs> well, you'll get to see it live. <laughs> And no one else will ever see it because I will <laughs> I will light my computer on fire after we're done recording. <laughs> okay, so let's see. We have green beans, roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, ginger glazed carrots. That's getting pretty fancy. Sweet potato pie and stuffing. Yeah, I've I have the bag, but I have emptied some out into a vintage Kellogg's. Oh, uh, Tony the Tiger. <laughs> Bowl. It's got to be Tony the Tiger. And I'm trying to. A lot of them look the same. So they they do. I'm guessing this is green beans. Yeah, well, that's. A, <laughs> I hope so. I hope that's. Oh, the green oh fuck! Beans. That's the turkey, and it's gone horribly bad. <laughs> I only have like two cranberries in the whole bag. So I did they not really. They're, they're staying true to the portion size that people oh, eat. <laughs> Do I not have? Oh, I see one. I see one. It's way at the bottom. I have to touch. It's very COVID friendly. I'm just touching every single <laughs> candy corn in the bag. Okay. I have a green bean. I have a, a cranberry. And then it starts to get a little. And then they all confusing. look kind of the same. There's a yellow one. Well, well, we have to play the guessing game. We'll have to decide okay. what it might be. <laughs> I'm trying to grab one of each so I don't have to like yeah, yeah. eat there's, more than one of something disgusting. <laughs> there's like a yellow one with a brown bottom or like a, a brown point. That sounds attractive. Okay. There's a there's a there's one with a white flat side and a brownish orange point. <laughs> there's one with a white point and an orange top. And then there's one with an orange, uh, you know, fat piece and a, and a lighter <laughs> a lighter orange point. I think that's six. That's There's six colors or right? six flavors. Six flavors. Orange fat piece is a good name for a band. Keep that on the yeah, back. <laughs> orange fat piece. <laughs> what I call my, that's what I call my base. Orange fat piece? Yeah. I approve of this. 
these are different, right? Yeah, yeah, they have to be. Okay, okay. Or so else I they're have... just being cruel if they're not. <laughs> I have five. I'm missing one. Oh, wait. I think this was the one I was missing. It looks like kind of gravy on the tip or that something. That one? Gravy on the tip? <laughs> gravy on the tip? <laughs> Orange fat peas and gravy on the tip. That's our duo project. <laughs> I'm going to be orange fat piece, though, obviously. Okay. <laughs> Dips. Okay. Which one do you want to try first? Yeah. Maybe let's try the green beans because then we know we're trying okay. to get one together. Definitely trying a green bean. Okay. <laughs> Wait, are you taking a bite or putting the whole thing I'm in? Put, I'm going. Oh, fuck. Okay. I got a big mouth, so I got to. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to taste go. it if I don't. <laughs> All right, here we go. Mm. Mm. It tastes vegetable-y, All right. <laughs> There is definitely a greenness to it. <laughs> In a place where you don't want to taste greenness. <laughs> mm. It's something else. There's, a, there's like a familiar like base taste in there. And it's not green bean. It's something else. It's a wax, I think. Is, <laughs> is that wax? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm detecting a slight hint of, oh, yes, wax. That's it. <laughs> mm. Tastes like grainy or something. I'm kind of impressed though that it does. And not that it, not if you were like here, taste this. What does this taste like? I'd be like, oh, green beans. But <laughs> right. I, I would be like, I don't know, vegetable-y. There is something. Yeah. Well, if you just handed that to me, I'd be like, that's an odd tasting candy choice you just handed me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have brown tip. Brown tip. And I have brown tip with like orange in the middle. White tip. tip. Let's go white tip. White tip, orange. Uh, white tip, piece. orange, fat piece. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. This one's going to fuck with my head because this looks the most like a normal candy corn. It's Maybe gonna... it's the corn flavored in it all. Is there a corn flavored? I don't know. There's no corn flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I still have green bean on my tooth, so this is going to be. Okay. <laughs> well, you're mixing. Hmm. <laughs> mm. Maybe the ginger carrot. It's just like, it's like a cinnamoniness to it. Yeah. Maybe it's the sweet potato pie. Maybe sweet potato pie. Or ginger carrot. That's my guess. It's a toss-up between those two. <laughs> we'll have to find the other one to find out. <laughs> I actually don't mind this one. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sweet. Like I said, it's kind of cinnamony. Mm -hmm. It's like a little big red action. A little thing. Oh, I miss that jingle. Water isn't enough for me. I still I have so many flavors just like swimming in my mouth right now. Okay. Flavor sensation. <laughs> it's an explosion of flavors. <laughs> These might be the same one. I can't tell. Do you have one that is like looks quite brown on the brown top? with a with a yellow with like a white butt. White butt, brown with a white butt. Brown with a white All right. butt. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> uh, I don't want to tell. <laughs> I think we found the turkey. That's turkey. <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> That's really unpleasant. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to spit it out, but I'm doing it. It's happening. 
I'm still there. You muscled through. I muscled through as I just start crying. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I want that out of my face now. Hmm. It's not that it's disgusting, but it is disgusting, if that makes sense. <sighs> All right. I'm guessing like, that's the turkey, right? Yeah. I'm going to say, yeah. It was like a very predominantly like gravy flavor, but gravy in the texture of candy corn is just not. <laughs> That Not a waxy chew. <laughs> Should we do cranberry to cl- to yes, please knock that out because that seems like it's probably <laughs> it's still, it's lingering very <laughs> it's potent it's in my mouth very bad okay cranberry All right. All right. save me with this <laughs> it just tastes fruity sweet yeah mixed with the weird. That's why they only give you two of them in the whole bag. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want want you to get comfortable with this bag. (laughs) We save this for our real candy. (laughs) This is expensive flavoring. Okay, what am I missing? Yellow bottom? Did we do that? Yellow bottom, brown tip. Brown tip? I think that's yellow bottom. What do you think this one is? This has got to be stuffing, maybe? I'm going to go with stuffing. Turkey, cranberry. Yeah, I'm thinking this is stuffing. All right, stuffing. I don't want to say goodbye to the cranberry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Stuffing. Uh, I don't like that. Okay, it's spitting that one out. Okay. <laughs> Get it. Power through it. Muscle through. Chew it. <laughs> Let me smear it all over my tongue. <laughs> yeah. Something very I am kind of impressed that they managed to <sighs> kind of get a flavor that's recognizable, though, as something <laughs> like stuffing or turkey. You think they just threw a bunch of stuffing in a blender and then poured it into their candy? Yeah, mix? they distilled it. <laughs> Essence of stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yucky. Okay, what are we missing? Well, then this is probably either the carrots or the potato, sweet potato pie. What so does it look in, like? What do you have? It's an uh, orange fat piece, kind of like a lighter orange or tan tip. Okay. With like an orange bottom also? Yeah. Okay. Almost one color and it kind of just is like a gradient. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't like this game. <laughs> <laughs> che- cheers. Cheers. Angel. Happy Thanksgiving, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanksgiving. This is my Thanksgiving gift to you. Mm. A ginger carrot. Oh, you really get the carrot in there. You can have strong ginger. It's like ginger forward, and then as you, it's ginger forward. Like I like got a carrot finish. Chomped, and I was like, "Oh, hello, that's ginger." And then like a second bite, and then it was like, "And carrot, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker." <laughs> hmm. It tastes like um, drinking carrot juice, but yeah, chewing it, which I'm not a fan. Of that. <laughs> Except for getting it stuck in your teeth. Yeah. So now I have this mix of just Thanksgiving layered all of my well, teeth. Now we do one of each all at the same uh, time. I think that would probably, <laughs> that would probably actually make me puke. 
<laughs> that turkey was bad enough. Turkey and stuffing. It's just something very unsettling about like that savoriness in like a candy form. Yeah. Because your brain is already like, okay, candy. It looks like a candy. It's candy texture. And then that like, it's just a very uh, unpleasant. Like years ago, they, you know, uh, Doritos was making all these different flavors of Doritos. And they had this like black bag mystery flavor. And when you started eating it, you're like, oh, these are interesting. This is, you know, this is not bad. And then as you're eating it, you realize it tasted exactly like a McDonald's cheeseburger. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's weird. I like McDonald's cheeseburger. And then you realize that like a chip shouldn't taste like a McDonald's cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got kind of grossed out by it. This you, is kind of a similar. Out. Meanwhile, it cuts to me and I just have the bag and I'm just pouring it into my <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's cheeseburger in chip form, you say. <laughs> that was something. That it was something. <laughs> we had a time. <laughs> well, it was good talking to you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, bye. Never see you again. <laughs> yeah, I would like to really just listerine the shit out of my mouth right now. Um, so you have a new book coming out, and I'm super excited for it. What is the official release date? Uh, December 1st, I think is think? the official release date. <laughs> hopefully the cop, well, I just got my first box of, of books. So hopefully there's also books going to Amazon and other places okay. as well. So hopefully they'll have them in time for that release date. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so, I think hopefully. <laughs> it seemed like, you know, when I did the first book, this book is a sequel to score to death conversations with some of Harvest greatest composers. When I did the first one, it seemed like there was like a, this long wait between when I finished and when they came out and just, this one seems like it has been like, I handed it in a long time ago, but it seems like it's been like this mad dash to getting it out where it seems like last time things were happening earlier than the release date like a press release went out way beforehand and press release hasn't even gone out for this one yet <laughs> so it seems like everything's sneaking up on it so it's always so i feel a little hesitant to be like everything's gonna be good next week <laughs> because I, but it seems like it is okay okay so do you think that's just does it have to do with just because it's a weird year and everything is kind of a little bit different right now or is it because it's your second one like is there a reason i have no idea i mean i assume that you know, the coronavirus had something to do with it. I know my co-host on Saturday Movie Sleepovers, Dion, was also writing a book. And uh, his was supposed to be out around this time, too. But they actually pushed his book till next June, I think. Oh. And that had to do with, I want to, I think it had to do with paper and getting the paper from China or Japan. And because, like, everything got shut down. So, yeah. you know, there weren't workers making paper for a long time. And, uh, and we actually almost were late with this one because the printers ran out of paper and they had to, and there was going to be a, uh, like two weeks ago, my publisher's like, yeah, we're going to be a little late because the printers just doesn't have, don't have the paper Shit. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that we ordered or that we want to use. And then I don't know, my publisher, you know, he, uh, put the lean on them, <laughs> made, made sure. <laughs> I, I think they bumped another book and gave us their paper. Oh, I just picture him going around with his baseball bat and he's like, listen up, all right? <laughs> we need this paper and we need it by this date. 
And if you knew him, it would be even weirder because he looks like Jerry Garcia, but he sounds like Wallace Shawn. Oh, okay. So- <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's the natural. That's actually exactly what I was picturing, though. Yeah. Well, for anybody that doesn't know, the new book is called "Score to Death: More Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers." And like the first book, it is a collection of interviews that I did with uh, composers who have made significant contributions to the horror genre. Uh, and uh, for the most part, it's pretty in-depth. Um, in this new book, Charlie Clauser, who composed the music for Saw and uh, or all the all the Saw movies uh, and also one of the Resident Evil movies, he, um, his was the first, the longest, inter- the longest single interview that I ever did. We talked for four and a half hours in in one sitting. Uh, In in the first book, I talked to uh, composers for probably almost that long, but they were spread out over like two or three kind of sessions of talking. But Charlie and I just talked for four and a half hours. Uh, He's a talker, which is good. Uh, But because he was willing to just go with it, we got, you know, more in detail with some of the stuff than I do with some of the other composers, you know, going by like almost every Saw movie and picking out cues and talking about, you know, the thought process or how it was calling back to earlier scores. Uh, And then there are composers like Bear McCreary, who's probably like the hardest working composer working. He composes like, you know, six television shows and eight movies a year and all these things. And so he was really busy. So we only talked for about an hour. So um, it's kind of a, a variety of uh, feels and lengths. And I interviewed two Japanese composers, uh, Koji Endo and uh, uh, Kenji Kawai. Uh, and because they don't speak English, that was kind of done with me so many questions. So those mm-hmm. ones are much shorter. But I kind of like that about the first book and this new book because it i feel like it gives each interview its own identity and you don't you know so the fact that some are really short and some are longer i just feel like it makes for a, a more entertaining read in a weird way yeah no not weird at all because then it's less like a template and more like a conversation which is the really yeah. cool thing about this book is that it reads like just a conversation yeah and i think well, it's always cool when people like people who are masters of the craft talking about kind of like their process is always just kind of a fascinating thing anyway and you're talking to basically living legends like <laughs> essentially right like, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i had interviewed people before for other things um but the interviewing style that developed for these two books happened very quickly maybe because harry manfredini was the first person I interviewed for the first book and he's known best for his work on the Friday the 13th series. He was the first interview I did for the first book. And when I contacted him, he said, well, how long is it going to take? And I didn't know because I hadn't interviewed anybody yet. I was like, <laughs> I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And he's just, his response via email was just like, oh, I'm going to talk a lot longer than that. And I said, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's in California and I'm in New York. And I don't know, we ended up talking. It was really late for me. Like I was like, we were talking at like midnight for me and we talked for like two hours, two and a half hours, something like that. And maybe just because of that interview, the rest of the interviews just kind of f- fell into the same kind of conversational uh, approach. Uh, I, I didn't really have a very definite thing. I mean, I had questions, obviously, but 
Um, and I ask a lot of the same, not a lot, but I do ask many of the same question to everybody because they each have different approaches and different answers. But uh, yeah, somehow the the book, the first book and now this book ended up being conversational. I think that's why I kind of steered through that type to that title of conversations with, because I don't know, to me, they just felt more like conversations and less like interviews. I think it also helps. Um, you obviously love movies, uh, but you also love music and you have a background in music and you are, is it a New York blues hall of fame? I'm, I am an inductee into the New York blues hall <laughs> of fame. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that also lends itself to being able to have it just more of like, it's like sitting down at a bar and having a conversation with somebody who has like, you, you have extensive knowledge of this, these two topics that are kind of married. And I feel like this was kind of the perfect book for you to write. Yeah. You know, I, it, the, the, the first book came about because obviously it was was something I was interested in um, ever since my teens, when I fell in love with the music uh, that John Carpenter made for his movies. And then 1819 developed, uh, discovering Dario Argento and the music of Goblin and Fulci and the music of Fabio Fritzi. That was kind of where like the obsession with horror music kind of started for me back in uh, earlier for Carpenter, probably like 94, 95 for Carpenter. And then probably like 97, 98 for Goblin and Fabio Fritzi. Um, and so it was, it was obviously something I, I, I was passionate about and I was interested in. And I always, listen to that music throughout the years and I, you know, I'd leave it and then I'd come back and listen to it again. And Claudio Simonetti, who was in Goblin, he had a band called Daimonia that I just absolutely loved in like 2000, 2001. And at that time I live in New York and everything is public transportation. And, uh, this, so we're talking to like 2001 and I was behind the times. I didn't have an MP3 player. So I literally put like the Daimonia, uh, album Dario Argento tribute on a cassette tape, side one, and on side two was rock and soul, the best of Hollow Notes. Hollow Notes, greatest <laughs> 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 I figured on long train rides, <laughs> bus rides, I'm covered no matter what mood I'm in <laughs> right. with, with those with that combination. And well, I listened to that obvious tape. double feature though too, you know. I mean, <laughs> and I listened to that tape. Every day on my way to work, I would travel two and a half hours one way to get to get to work. One way? Uh, Yeah. So five hours of travel every day. And uh, I would listen to that tape nonstop. So I always loved that music. And then uh, Goblin, uh, actually a band called New Goblin, but other they came to America as Goblin, which was part original Goblin members, part. Simonetti's band Demonia they had kind of become new Goblin but they toured here in the states as Goblin and I went to that show and I was just like I was so happy like I never thought I would see (laughs) that Uh, and literally and I write about it in the beginning of the book it's the preface of the book and literally I was like looking around and I just saw that I wasn't the only one that was way into this (laughs) right (laughs) <laughs> and so it got me kind of obsessed with that music. And that was one of the things that made me want to find out more about Goblin and John Carpenter's music. And uh, because I think most horror geeks or 
geeks in general, the f- fans can relate that like when you're really into something, you want to know everything there is to know about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went searching for that information. And when I couldn't find that information, I decided that I needed to find out that information for myself. And that's kind of how the journey of the first book started. And then the second book kind of, you know, the preface of the second book also starts at a concert because the, right the week the first book came out or a, or a couple, I think it was the week the first book that came out, John Carper was on tour and I saw him play here in New York. And uh, when that show was done, I just decided that like I wasn't done talking to composers yet. Like I still was way too into it. Uh, and I had to wait. So I ended up starting the squirted at the podcast and eventually the new book did come to fruition, but it was like, I didn't even get the green light for the second book until two years or over two years after I, I did the first one or, or the, the first one came out. Uh, so that's why I started doing the podcast was because go, oh, well, if there's not another book coming out, there's still people I want to talk to. So I started doing it as a podcast and then through circumstances that are kind of convoluted and not worth going into that kind of led to the current book, which is uh, partially made up of interviews that originated from the podcast. Um, but in all, but one of those cases have updated information that's exclusive to the book. So it's like bonus material. Uh, and then the rest of the book, which is half or actually more than half of the book is all new stuff exclusive to the, to just the book. So I didn't want to just have a book that was just stuff that people could get for free elsewhere. (laughs) Smart. Well, so from the first book, it's basically you're starting from scratch. In the second book, you also had podcast material that you can basically a library of interviews that you at least already started that you could go back and pull from. Uh, Is there, do you prefer one of those over the other? I, I feel like, I don't know, the podcast and being able to pull from that presents its own kind of new set of issues from what you were dealing with the first time around. But is there one that you would take over the other? You mean from between starting completely from scratch or having things and having things yeah. to pull from? Um, I don't know. They're just a different experience. And there's just, there's just different questions that need to be answered as like the author or the editor or whoever, you know, I don't even, I don't, I say author because I don't know what else to say. I mean, like I didn't write their interviews. I wrote the questions and I wrote the preface and the introduction. I still call, you're the author of the book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just, it was, the second book was weird. And part of how, part of the agreement for the second one on my part was that I would be able to use some of the stuff from the podcast because I felt that the interviews for the podcast were really good. Um, part of the deal for the second book meant I got paid less. So uh, if I wanted to have a second book, it meant I couldn't get a, uh, the kind of um, advance that I got for the first book. And so I said, well, I'm, I would love to do it, but because I'm basically working for free now <laughs> until the back end comes, you know, okay. until, until copies sell. Uh, can I 
can I use work that I've already done so that I don't have to, you know, hopefully not cut the work in half, but at least cut the work and uh, a third of the work is done already. Smart. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that's kind of how that came about. It's just, it's different. You know, the podcast is its own thing and and I I was really pushing doing it and it's just, it's very hard, Um, especially as someone who uh, my day job is as an editor for television and things. And so as an editor, I, I find it very difficult to go listen to the raw material and not pull out every um and uh and, <laughs> and awkward bit of silence and um so it's also very weird editing yourself it's a different kind of I mean aside from wanting to you would probably pull out the ums and like pregnant pauses and things like that anyway but I feel like when you're editing yourself yeah. like it's even more like oh let me just cut a lot of this yeah out. well when you look at the timeline it's you know, I'm half an inch of space on the timeline and they're, you know, 12 inches across the whole thing. So they're talking (laughs) a lot more, but I spend like a half an hour editing my, you know, 30 second question. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just add a little auto tune to that. (laughs) But all you said, Uh, "Mm -hmm, I know, but I need to just tweak it a little bit <laughs> there was that there were even times when i first started doing it where i went and i re- re-recorded some questions i, I feel I was that. Just like i found like a <laughs> babbling idiot with this question <laughs> uh so yeah it's just the editing it's like it just takes me a really long time and um mm-hmm. the book obviously takes a really long time too but there's it's just two different kinds of work and uh but the podcast to go kind of steer back to your actual question. <laughs> I, interviews with like guys like Richard Band and Joseph Laduca and uh, the French composer Rob, who did the remake of Maniac and uh, Gretel and Hansel and stuff like that. Uh, I just thought they were really good interviews. And um, I was excited to have a, a place for them to live uh, in a different way. When I do the stuff with the book, it's like I'm doing it for them, you know. I'm, I'm, it's, it's that. There's not vanity for me in it. It's like I'm, I'm trying to bring awareness to these amazing artists and their work. And I feel like composers are as important to the filmmaking process as any of the jobs. But yet, mm-hmm. uh, I think for a lot of people, they don't even think about it. So. Uh, through getting to know these guys and gals and, and realizing that they're all amazing and generous people, it kind of, part of it became a mission of like, let's bring some awareness to these people because they deserve it. <laughs> they, yeah. they deserve to be celebrated. Yes. And it also goes back to what you were saying about when you're kind of, when you're like a, a nerd for something or a geek for something, wanting to know all about these different aspects of it. And then when you set out to find that information, you couldn't find it. So you had to be the guy to write it down and put it out there and share with everybody. And I knew I was going to be interested in the material on the book, just because it's like I said, just reading about people who are masters of their craft to talk about kind of their process and how they go through that. That's always interesting to me, but I I was kind of surprised at like just how interesting I found it. Like I knew it was going to be enjoyable, but it was even like even more than I had originally fathomed. Like it's really just fascinating and 
even asking similar questions or the same questions and everybody's answers are so different. And then when there are similarities, like that's interesting too, of what the similarities are. Like, it's just, it's a really cool topic. Yeah. That's, it's funny you say that because that was something I always really liked about the first book while I was editing it was like, I did think that when the answers are different, that's interesting. But I did also think it was really interesting when they're this, when they're similar, when they have similar ways of approaching things and they say similar things. Like to me, that, that was genuinely just as interesting to me. So I talked, I talked it over with my friend, Dave, who is my soulmate when it comes to horror film music. Uh, But Dave, Dave was a kindred spirit with that. So I talked to Dave about it. I said, I don't know. I want to do this. And, and, uh, through talking to him, I decided it's like, I'll just do one or two and see how they come out. And if they don't come out great, then I'll see if some horror website wants to put them on, on their site as print, you know, in print, I'll transcribe them. They'll live somewhere, but I'll save myself from years of work <laughs> <laughs> if they stink. Uh, assuming that most people were going to say no. I asked like seven to 10 people right out of the gate <laughs> to do your couple. Okay. All right. <laughs> Cause I figured like, you know, if I throw like, if I throw out seven asks, maybe two of them will say it, two or three of them will say yes. <laughs> well, of course they all said yes. Uh, thankfully. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm writing this book now. So, so that's another interesting thing. We've talked a little bit about it, but do you feel that you're, I guess your interview style or just how you feel going into interviews with these composers has changed from the first book to the second book because you've done it so many times now. Yeah, I didn't think so until uh, I started editing the interviews for the second book, not even for the podcast, editing the podcast. It was when I started transcribing and editing the, the interviews for the second book that I kind of realized that it was very, it, they do feel very different than the first book. And it's weird because it's like a lot of the questions are the same. Some of them are different. And some of the questions I dropped um, for whatever reason. Uh, but it wasn't a conscious thing. And I didn't even realize what was happening until I did it. And I remember after when I'm do when I handed the book, the trans, uh, the, uh, the book into the publisher, and then I got his notes back, his edit back. And he was like really uh, not forthcoming with how he felt about it. Like I kept on waiting at some point to get an email while it's editing. Be like, hey, you know, I'm up to this point in the book. Great job. Nothing. Not, you know, like. Just radio no silence? <laughs> that's, like, that's torture. That's the and, worst possible thing you can do. And even when he was, even when I got his notes, there was no like, it was just like, here, here, here's my edit. there was no indication whether he liked it or not. So I asked, you know, I said to him, I said, I asked, uh, let me ask you, like, what do you, do you like it? Like, what do you think of it? (laughs) And he said, I like it a lot. And I said, Oh, good. Uh, Thank God. (laughs) Good. Why didn't you say so? (laughs) And uh, he said, the interviews feel, the interviews feel really different. And I said, yeah, I don't, know why but they do he said they he's like not that you're old not that not that the interviews in the first book were immature but the interviews in this book feel more mature and uh he said like you talk about your own music 
with them, which you didn't do in the first book, which I didn't even realize, not even something that I realized when I was editing it, but I guess I do bring up the things you know that I do musically and talk to them about that. Um, and I kind of realized that not only was it the fact that just having had the experience of interviewing 14 people for the first book and just having like that being more comfortable and then going into the podcast and just, so other than just the experience of doing it, I realized that when I, through doing the first book, I ended up becoming friends with some of these guys, you know, like, and I, and I still am. And when I go, when I'm out in California, like I hang out socially with some of them and um, because they're all, and I haven't met a composer yet that's just like not the, not one of the nicest people I've ever <laughs> encountered. And they're all really generous. And uh, five of them came out to, for the signing for the first book. And when I when I got a table at Monster Palooza one year, two of them came out and sat at the table with me to sign the book. And I mean, for free, they just did it, you know, because they wanted to help support the book and and me. And, I, I realized that through becoming friends with them, going into the second book, I think on a subconscious level, I felt less like a fan and more like an equal in a weird way. Because now, like, I, I've now spent a lot of time with these guys. And some of those guys, some of the guys in the first book were the ones that introduced me to some of the guys in the second book. And that's how I got some of those interviews. And having a mutual friends, I think, changed the dynamic of the interviews because, you know, Joseph Laduca, sometimes, especially when I did in the podcast, I'd have to put like this disclaimer up front. Like when he's talking about Joe, he's talking about Joseph Bashar because he knows that I'm friends with those guys. And so it was like unclear. Uh, and so in a way that altered uh, the way I approached them, but also just altered the feel of it because they knew I knew these other guys and they knew that I did had this other book. And uh, so I think they also ended up approaching the interview differently. And, yeah. and I love, and I love that the second book feels very different than the first book to me. Like that's a success, that's, <laughs> you know, like, awesome. yeah. like I don't want them to feel the same. <laughs> and so I'm really happy that they both feel pretty different. You weren't just a random guy, but you also weren't just thinking of yourself as a random guy. <laughs> <laughs> They're just all, I mean, so far, I haven't run into any of them, any composers that aren't great. Uh, and I think some of that comes, I think some of that comes from the work. When you're a, an artist and a master of your craft and you're working for a project that's not your own, like I don't feel like a composer who's an asshole and has a big ego about his stuff could survive in film music because they're working for somebody else's project. Like right. they're working for the film. So if they have an ego, I don't think they would want to do that work because ultimately you're not, they're not doing it for themselves. They're not writing music because they want to hear that music. They're writing music to service a story. And that's way too collaborative. You have other, like you can have a director saying, that's not the feel that I'm going for. <laughs> so it's yeah. Like so I feel like, <laughs> there's a certain temperament that has to go along with that job or else they wouldn't be good at it or they would be miserable at it. Right. And so I think that's why so many of them, I mean, I've now interviewed, I don't know, 40 or so composers between the podcast and the two books and they've all just been amazing. And I think it's partially because 
they kind of have to be really kind and generous and without ego to function in that world. So you've ordered, you've interviewed over probably 40. Is there anyone that's like super like a bucket list for you that you haven't gotten to talk to yet? Because I feel like you've probably talked, at least for like living composers, you've probably talked to most of the ones that were like your tops. Is there anyone that you're like missing still? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely ones that I would have loved to have talked to in the first book uh, that ended up being in the second book. And there was ones that I would love to have talked to in the first book that just never came to fruition for either book. I would really love to talk to Howard Shore. Um, you know, I know he's the Lord of the Rings guy now, but uh, David Cronenberg is one of my favorite composers. I mean, favorite directors. And so I would love to talk to Howard Shore. And unfortunately, uh, he was not available to be in this book. And so maybe someday that'll happen. Uh, he's the big one. I mean, really, I mean, obviously I would love to talk to John Williams and I tried to sweeten the pot and be like, I am not going <laughs> to ask you about star Wars. Jones. People who have read the first book seem to really like the interview with Chris Young. Um, because it's kind of raw in a way, like he goes a lot into like his, doubts of like this was this the right career path <laughs> or you know like in my head maybe i should have done so many horror films because now i'm kind of pigeonholed as that guy and uh part of the reason why i think that interview feels that way and why chris and i have stayed friends you know for now five six years is because like i kind of called him on stuff you know i, I kind of was like yeah but don't you think you know and i i don't think a lot of interviewers go that way and i think because i i talked to him and, and didn't let things that he said slide not that he said anything bad but just kind of like called him on stuff or pushed him on things and tried to you know i think that's why that interview became came out so honest and i think that's what people connect to about that interview so the act of interviewing is uh something that i've obviously been practicing for a long time but you know even if i didn't do another score to death book like i would want to do something similar just in a different topic because why i've enjoyed the seven years that i've been doing this is because kind of like you know what you were saying is like i'm just interested in what creative people have to say about what they do and i love talking to them about it right and sometimes it's like when I do the podcast or I'm writing the book, the frustrating part is that it has to be for a podcast or the book. Cause once I do the com, once I have that conversation, like everything I wanted out of it, I've now fulfilled. Little, like, <laughs> you know, it's done. I wanted to know the information. Right. Now I know that information. <laughs> I, what do I care if anybody else finds out that information? <laughs> no, now you have to go on and transcribe it and share it with the yeah. world. <laughs> then the, that's when the work starts. And then like, yeah. that's the frustrating part because like everything I wanted out of it, I already got out of it. Yeah. I had that conversation. <laughs> I learned it already. <laughs> that is the fun part. You get to do the fun part of it. And then you're like, oh shit, this is a, it's for work. It's a work thing. Now I have to do the yeah. work portion. Now I got to do all the <laughs> crappy stuff about yeah. it. Basically, the way I approached the first book was I tried to, one, you know, the first thing is like, who do I, who do I just want to talk to? And two, whose music, like, what music do I like? Mm -hmm. And then the third thing, which was equal to those other things, was like, I wanted to create a, like a diverse 
group of people, whether, you know, whether it was age or style, uh, or ethnicity or whatever. Like I wanted it, I wanted to have a wide range of people, but the second book that was ended up being kind of the deciding factor. Also, it was, all right, what group of people, one, are diverse from each other, but two, makes this book different than the first book. I was like, the first book is heavily weighted in guys whose career started in the 70s and 80s with some more contemporary composers like Joseph Bashar and Nathan uh, Barr and, and Jeff Grace. So the, the new book is slightly like the mirror image of that, you know, it's like, it's, it's slightly more weighted in, in uh, quote unquote contemporary composers with some guys who started their careers uh, in the seventies and eighties. And so the, the new book became that it was like, and then it was like, you know, I would love to talk to a woman, you know, I, there's no women. <laughs> Both <laughs> books are sausage fests. So, far. <laughs> you know, so uh, thankfully because of doing the first book and having, you know, a score to death Twitter page and, and all those things, I've gotten to know other people that either podcast about music, uh, film music, or just their fans. And so through talking to them, I discovered the music of Holly Amber church. And, uh, after I, I watched the films and listened to her music, I was like, yeah, she has to be in the book, you know, like, because her music's great. And because Holly's hasn't really, how, the, the films Holly's done so far are kind of the contemporary independent horror movie. Uh, whereas, you know, Harry Manfredini and John Carpenter and all those guys were starting in the 70s and 80s contemporary right. <laughs> uh, uh, independent horror movie and so it was like yeah not only is her music great and unique and uh, and she's a woman so she's going to have a different perspective on the art and the industry but she's also working on a type of film that nobody else in this book is working on and then you know it was great that Michael Abel's is a guy who has spent his entire career and life in music, but now like in his fifties or something is now scoring movies. Uh, so it was really great to get to talk to somebody who has had this fantastic journey as an artist and a composer, and now is starting this like whole new chapter right. in, in his own story. Um, and you know, being being black, he also kind of has a very different perspective on the industry. And it was really interesting to talk to him and Holly about how the film industry in general, but especially horror movies and especially horror movie composing, are like a white dude's club. Mm -hmm. And how do they fit into that? And do they feel that it not being that hinders their careers or does it benefit their careers? And uh it was just really great to get to talk to. It seems people. like a natural progression at, for the sequel too, because of the first one, like you said, it's a lot of guys that started out like in the seventies and they started out quite young. A lot of them are like yeah. early twenties starting out in the seventies and then built these just like monolith careers. So then for the second book to be a mixture of like 
contemporary and then people who came into it later, like had a career in music and had these amazing careers and then came into it later or like being black or being a woman. It's kind of, like you said, the mirror of the first. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a new, a new take on it, which is kind of, I'm really excited to read it. Yeah. And like the first book has a handful of Italian composers. And I was like, well, what are the, what's the other, like not American, <laughs> you know, field of horror, of horror, a region of horror that, that was like, you know, has won a fan base to I'm interested in. I've seen a bunch of the movies that it was like, oh, like the Asian horror scene. Mm-hmm. So I got to talk to a couple of Japanese composers, the guys that work with Takashi Miike or, uh, and the guy that did the Japanese ring, <laughs> you know, and so it was really, unfortunately, the language barrier, uh, I didn't get the as the kind of information I wanted, but I feel really kind of excited and almost honored to be able to bring the information that I did get from them to American horror fans. Right. Because I mean, I don't in trying to find information so that I could interview them, I couldn't find any yeah. other, you know, interviews right. with them. <laughs> <laughs> So it was Japanese like, oh. horror is pretty like t- to me. I think Japanese horror is the fucking scariest. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then we just ripped it off so hard, and it's still not <laughs> even half as scary as the originals. And then book three, you can do some uh, Indonesian horror. I feel yes. like that's been pretty big in the last couple of years, and that's pretty amazing stuff coming out. <laughs> well, that's the thing. People are like, is there were there people you haven't talked to that you want to talk to? Do you think there's more? is there enough people to talk to uh, for another book? And I was like, I don't know if I'll do another book. I don't know if I want to do another book yet anyway, but yes. You know, like I could fill 10 of these with amazing composers. <laughs> well, I new mean, movies are coming out all the time. So even <laughs> if it's like a composer that you've talked to by the time you want to do another book, maybe they've done another couple of films that you want to talk about, or there's yeah, new films I, and new composers. Like, and that would that would be a completely different interview because, mm-hmm. like, we you know a part two where we're not talking about why they do it and how they started in the business and why they fell in love with music. We can just cut right to the chase <laughs> and just get to the new stuff or cover Hold some on, of the films we that need, we need. We don't need backstory. We covered that. Okay, let's cut to. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to share about the second book coming out? I don't think so. It's called Score to Death 2. More conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. <laughs> and uh, I'm just, uh, I'm excited that it happened. And I'm, I'm very proud with, of the way it came out. And I hope uh, people like it. And for some of the reasons that we talked about earlier about the feeling, the way the interviews kind of feel different in the evolution of the interviewing style. I think in some ways, in those ways, I think it might even be better than the first book. Uh, not because of the people I interviewed. Uh, they were great, but because of me. Your interview me. style, your interviewing I, style. Yes. And I'm, I, I'm comfort level. I'm excited for people to read it. Um, I know some people were, you know, I know some people have listened to the audio versions of some of those interviews, but uh, I'm really glad that I got to talk to some of those guys about stuff that I didn't talk to them in the, in, in the, uh, podcast. So there's a lot of more information in those interviews. And then there's just a collection of great people. I'm really lucky that, uh, not only that people are into the subject and are interested in reading a book like this, but I'm very lucky that I've gotten to, I've been able to talk to so many amazing 
artists about what they do and they've been willing to open up and talk about what they do with me. So I hope people enjoy it. All right. Now give me one more. I'm excited, but without the question mark and an exclamation point instead. (laughs) And I'm really excited. There we go. That was more like a period, but I'll take it. (laughs) I'm really excited. Hey, third time's a charm. Yes. I'm super excited for the book. December 1st. Can we, people can pre-order it on Amazon now. Yes. Yes. And at some point I will have copies that you could order from me directly at scoretodeath.com. Give us a little flash. Let me see your shirt. I don't know. Yep. There it it is. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. Score to death two, December 1st makes an excellent Christmas Kwanzaa Hanukkah gift. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay. I'll I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Blake for joining us today. Those Thanksgiving candy corns are disgusting. I really do love this book. It's a lot of fun and it really is just fascinating to read Masters of a Craft talking about what they do in just such a conversational fashion. Score to Death, Score to Death 2, pre-orders December 1st. You can also check out scoretodeath.com for some of Blake's podcast interviews with composers and the Score to Death panel from this year's Salem Horror Fest. Thank you for watching and listening. Super grateful for you creeps. You can email me at podcast at horrorgirlproblems.com. Find me on the blog, horrorgirlproblems.com, socials. And in light of Thanksgiving, I'd just like to say I'm super grateful for all of you for listening, watching, supporting. Genuinely means the world to me, so thank you. I'm grateful for you not just today, not just this week, but every day, every week. You make my little Franken heart swell with love. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate on Apple Podcasts if you're so inclined. That's all I got. I'll catch you next week for some more spooky shit.